This is Jen, and you're listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast. These bite-sized episodes are designed to get you up to speed and comfortable with Mage the Ascension rules and concepts. Reread the books so you don't have to, though we do recommend it. Without further ado, welcome to Paradox. and welcome to episode 21, Plot Twists and Paradoxes. This is part one of a two-part special for the one-year anniversary of Paradox. And with me, I have Kelly once again. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Jen? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. So now you've been on the podcast before, but do you want to do a bit of an intro, maybe talk about anything new you're working on? Sure, absolutely. So hey, everybody, my name is Kelly Clark. I am the lead storyteller and host over at Dork Tales. We're a YouTube, Twitch, and podcast actual play channel. And uh, Jen is in one of my games, which actually several of my games. Jen is in my Victorian era Mage the Ascension game, and uh, it is a lot of fun. Right now, I am working on quite a few voiceover projects and am in the process of putting out season three of our Mage the Ascension, the Victorian Age Chronicle. You finally might get on a boat. I might get on a boat. It's exciting, guys. That means nothing to anyone who isn't watching the Mage game, but that's fine. Why aren't you watching? Watch the Mage game. Watch it. It's good. Watch the Mage game or listen to it on podcast over on Dorktales Podbean. It's coming out there. Yeah. Or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, let's get into it. The infamous metaplot of the World of Darkness. Some love it, some hate it. What are your general feelings of it as a storyteller or as a player? I love it as a toolbox. It is a great way to add historical detail. I mean, honestly, if you look at it on the same way as any historical events that you may wish to include inside of your, your normal games, it fits into that same type of thing. Like if you wanted to run a historical game and you wanted to say that, oh, maybe Rome didn't get sacked by the Goths in this year, or maybe this event didn't happen, it's the same thing. You can, you can pick and choose what you like, but it does offer that immediate sense of the world of darkness and like what's going on in it to your players. If I say that we're going to set a game during the week of nightmares then your players automatically know or my players automatically know what the vibe is going to be and it's kind of cool it's like if you said that you were going to set a game during pearl harbor it's an interesting way to have a touchstone and to give the players a way to immediately connect with the setting if they know it or to feel like they're part of something larger if they're not and for those who don't know the setting at all, like we have a character in uh, in our game that is new to mage and doesn't understand anything. So if I, you know, drop in that you're going to have tea with Porthos Fitz Empress, like half the cast knows what that is and is super excited for him. And the other half is just like, wow, this is a really weird guy. And then later they find out that he's basically Gandalf, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a big deal. It's, it's fun. Um, but yeah, it can be done very badly. How about as a player? Like, I know you haven't played, you often are the storyteller for Mage games. People seem to want you to run Mage more than they want to run Mage for you, but you're a player in my Technocracy Zero Sum game. So feelings on Metaplot as a player? I like it because it's, for pretty much the same reason, it basically allows you to do like a sightseeing tour of some of the big events of the universe. So long as the storyteller is fine adjusting or bending metaplot details or signature NPCs. Like, for example, in your zero-sum game, the technocracy Mm -hmm. game that you're running, you brought in Mariana of Valador. Mm -hmm. 
and made some drastic changes <laughs> mm-hmm. to her. And that made it interesting because it was you, you were able to subvert a lot of the baggage that I was carrying in about her, but still make that a touchstone for me as a player, mm-hmm. you know, someone with a lot of lore, but also have fun with it. So yeah, yeah. I think that's really crucial. I enjoy it. And honestly, I brought her in specifically because you requested her as a bit of a joke. But I was like, yeah, whatever. Let's do it. <laughs> nice. I should I should always be careful what I ask for. <laughs> I, I think so long as so long as you're a player and you don't become a meta plot fanatic or a mm-hmm. meta plot purist. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a lot of fun. Uh, so long as you don't go into it and try to argue with your storyteller and say that, hey, well, actually, the week of nightmares was, you know, it was it was seven days straight, and your storyteller wants it to be the long weekend of nightmares. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. It, do what's more fun for your story. Don't do what's specific to the book. Your your story is more important than what's printed. Yeah, yeah. Like for me as a storyteller, I love using the meta plot. Those who have caught up to Zero Sum, we just did episode 10 and it's about to get a bit meta plotty. But I like bringing in those those elements for the reasons that you have stated. Like it's a great toolbox. It gives me ideas of things to work with, it, whether or not I'm adjusting mm. the meta plot. Like if I'm using it straight out, then that's one thing. But I never I never do that if it's if changing it will fit the story better. Sometimes, sometimes things just fall right into place and it's wild and crazy when it does that. (laughs) Yeah. And there are other times where there'll be something in the meta plot that you, that either didn't age well. Mm -hmm. For example, like I was thinking of doing some, some Eastern stuff, like you guys traveling to the East and I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I guess I could bring in like the Wu Lung and the Wu Kang. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not bringing in the Wu Kang. I'm not bringing them in. This is 2024. We're not doing that. As wonderful of antagonists as they are, (laughs) they're not suited for, for modern audiences or players. But uh, it's the same thing with like the, the, I don't know if you remember the revised convention books mm-hmm. introduced the Atlas suits, mm, right, the, yeah. the Atlas stu- hit marks, the ones that have like mage avatars inside of them. Right. Yeah. That might not be something you want to use for your game. Mm-hmm. Then again, you might want something that terrifying in a game. So, you know, it, yeah, it it's gives true. you that latitude to play around with. It's great. Right. So before we get into this, can you provide a brief overview about what we mean when we say metaplot for those unfamiliar with the game or just the metaplot in general they've come in with m20 and they're just not sure what this whole thing is about so a metaplot is when a publisher decides to create a pre-existing plot or narrative that lines up inside of the structure of the game it's the overarching plot that fits into the narrative in the world of darkness, it would start with the creation of the universe, the fall of the the angels in Demon the Fallen, then would move on to Cain killing Abel and becoming a vampire, all the way through the Ascension War and to the end of days or beyond, depending if you're playing in 5th edition. In other systems, it would be uh, in Shadowrun. It is the goblinization, the, the day that everybody became a metahuman, mm-hmm. which actually happened, I think, two years ago mm-hmm. in the canon of real world. I think it was like 2022 or oh, something like that. Nice. <laughs> but and, or um, in games like D&D don't tend to do it very much. No, but we had Dragonlance. You, we did have Dragonlance. But also, if you look at the D&D modules that are set in the, the world of Faerun uh, or Toril, I suppose, but in the Forgotten Realms, they they all line up timeline wise. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't play a module, there are references for previous modules in there. Or hell, if you play Baldur's Gate 3, mm-hmm. it is a sequel to the D&D module Descent into Avernus. Yeah. So it's it's this pre-existing plot that exists inside of a game that 
players and storytellers are free to use or discard as they wish. Mm -hmm. And in the case of World of Darkness, it also pulls in a bunch of the real world events and real world people mm -hmm. that have you know happened throughout history that may or may not have had an effect on this meta plot, as well as created Absolutely. NPCs and stuff like that, of course. Yeah, lots of signature NPCs, mm -hmm. uh, Penny Dreadful or... Um... Porthos. Porthos Fitz Empress. Yeah, absolutely. There's so, there's so many. General Aleph for the technocracy. Yeah. But of course, nothing is without controversy. And there has been a lot of controversy about Metaplot through the Worlds of Darkness as a whole, but I think especially in Mage when we swapped from second edition to revised. So maybe let's talk a little bit about what that controversy entails and also why is it so contentious and why do people dislike the Metaplot? Okay, so in games like in games like Vampire the Masquerade, the meta plot is fairly intrinsic. You have creatures that are living for thousands of years. So having some pre-existing storyline inside of the universe really makes sense. This vampire would have done that. This vampire would have participated in that, etc., etc., right? Mm -hmm. However, when you get into something like Mage, the meta plot is simultaneously super redundant, super irrelevant mm -hmm. to a lot of things beyond the basics of, ah, the technocracy rose and there was a war and now the traditions are on the run. Right, right. But also because of the way that Mage the Ascension revised went and changed uh, with the nature of the Avatar Storm Rising, the fall of Horizon and Concordia, and all of these huge events that shaped the very mechanics of the game, mm -hmm. it became a pivotal element. So it's this weird thing where you kind of need it, but it kind of doesn't matter to your characters at all beyond the fact there's an Avatar Storm, which is, of course, something that M20 put as an optional. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming if they do a Mage 5th edition, they're just going to toss it out the window completely. Yeah, it was that, that sort of that mechanical change with the Avatar Storm, with how much harder it was to reach the spirit world and actually use spirit magic and, and all of that. And then discorporation of, of the ancients and like... Yeah. I, I think it's a cool idea. Like the idea to put yeah. the impetus on young mages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, at least for me personally, that change really defines mage as opposed to vampire because in vampire, you are dealing with the elders. Yeah, they might go into mm. torpor, you know, they might sleep for a thousand years, whatever, but, or they might get diablerized for what it's worth, but, you know, <laughs> you know, just eat their soul. It's fine. Just a little, as a treat. But with mages, they could have gone either the like younger mages rise up and take out the, the old mages, but mages are powerful mm -hmm. or they go this way where, you know, the elder mages are wiped out by something and... In theory, depending on how you want to use the Avatar Storm and the Metaplot. Man, right? not to rag on Vampire 5th Edition, but or you could just say all the elders suddenly get a plane ticket to the Middle East and, and just, just bounce. I can't believe that's what they went with. They got paged. Yeah, what's the realm the elves go to? Because that's what it felt like. Oh, Arcadia? No, like like in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, to the to the eastern lands or western lands or, or whatever. wherever, yeah. They basically just sail yeah, off they... when they're too old. <laughs> It's it's so weird. Like, it's such a weird choice just to say that, ah, oh, yes, all the elders and vampire suddenly get beckoned to the Middle East and we'll pick this plot thread up later. Bye. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. I, yeah. It just, it, especially, it just seems, I know this is off topic, but it seems nope. so strange to me, specifically with a property that's trying to become far more universal, like mm -hmm. worldwide, not just sticking in North America, to choose a place where there are plenty of people and say all of the old vampires went there and were never heard of again. And it's like, there, 
There are a lot like millions of people where you just sent all these vampires, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine some very confused players in the Middle East. Fair, yeah. Being like, but what are all the vampires doing here? They walk into the desert and they die in the sun. That's just... <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Ah, the old Sedite tactic. Yes, the old Sedite tactic. Just lure them into the desert. <laughs> it could have. We should have done that with the technocracy. That's true. Yeah, right. But speaking of things like vampire and whatnot, because World of Darkness has this overarching metaplot, really, because it's the World of Darkness, there are theories about the different systems and how they overlap or are different, mm. you know, realities within this reality. Or sometimes they can all function in the same one, but the mechanics don't really allow for that. So in terms of crossover, like how does the metaplot intersect with or influence other Worlds of Darkness settings, if at all? 100%. And the thing is, there's there's no argument if you actually read it. It's, it goes like this. Mage is the universal adapter that fits every other game and makes it function. You know, mixed with a little bit of Demon the Fallen. And it, it, my, my version of the Metapop, personally, having read into it, goes like this. In the beginning, there was that whole thing with Lucifer. And Lucifer <laughs> activated the first mage lilith or you know society if you want to go into a, into a larger myth but basically awaken their avatars before humans were ready to be awakened mm -hmm. and that's original sin and then there's a big war and then cain and then all of that stuff but if you look at every other system you know it, it could easily be that werewolves created were created by lilith or werewolves were created by another mage i still think that osiris is just an Arete 6, 9, 10, whatever mage that is in a sub realm and goes, hey, you know what would be fun? I should create mummies. <laughs> because if you read the mummy fiction and like read the mummy meta plot, it's literally just Osiris going, ah, I think it's just a crazy uh, Celestial Chorus member who's, who's really out of touch, maybe a marauder, and is just like, I'm going to make mummies today. And then did it. And then he just does, he's moved on to a different project. Because Mage is so universal, it's really easy to look at its meta plot and to say that, oh, well, you know, from a certain point of view, Mage fills in all the gaps of the others. And if it doesn't, then Demon the Fallen does, because Demon the Fallen reinforces all of the meta plot inside of Wraith the Oblivion. Mm -hmm. The only one that's kind of an odd man out is uh, a little bit Changeling, mm -hmm. but you could also just say that Changeling exists purely because of the power of pre-industrialized, superstitious, unawakened avatars. Fair. Creating it. Or spirits. If I remember correctly, Arcadia is part of the mage cosmology. It is. It's mostly Dark Ages Fae that really throws a wrench into it because they're okay. really powerful and really different. But if you look at the way that Fae work and you look at the, the return in 1969, because basically what happened is all the Fae went away. And then in 69, during the moon landing, mm -hmm. there was a collective a collective explosion of human wonderment that blew open a bunch of the doors to Arcadia. And the Fae were like, oh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's cool to come back now. Uh, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just that one moment where we did something cool. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a very mage sentiment as well. Oh, hey, look, a swelling of, of will working and a swelling of belief, you know? Yeah. But yeah, mage fills in all of the other ones. Which is weird because that means that all meta plot is mage meta plot. Yeah, which seems a little self-centered, but I like it. <laughs> They're mages. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I like it too. It's almost like this is a mage podcast. Yeah. Hubris and selfishness is like the cornerstones of mage. <laughs>
Yep, I love it. I think that the mage meta plot, though, looking at it by itself, I personally find that it is not the most interesting. Just just the mage stuff by itself. I think the vampire meta plot's more interesting. I think the demon meta plot is probably the most interesting. Particularly, its uh, time of judgment stories are just they're riveting. But that said, I think that out of out of the books. The, the vampire end of the world book Gehenna and the mage end of the, end of the world book Ascension are about on par in terms of quality. They're both fantastic books that wrap up their worlds, even though the, the route to get there for mage is a little convoluted and strangled, especially when you get into the Janissaries, the Cassifry, the things like that, where it's like, what do you, what do you mean that you've got like triple agents inside of both groups that are also betraying themselves but also aren't betraying each other and themselves. It's just very confusing. Fair. Yeah, it's just... Sometimes, sometimes my research for Zero Sum takes me down really weird paths, as you're going to find out soon. Yay! I don't want to reveal too much, but oof. <laughs> yeah. But oof. And and sometimes it, it, it does all just come together neatly. I realized by simply by reading certain aspects of Metaplot that I did not know off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was somewhere in my subconscious, but... It completely altered how I saw some of the things that happened in Zero Sum. Because I was like, oh, that's where I was heading. Really? Can you can you share any of those with me? Or are we is is it gonna spoil something? You will literally find out next game. Okay. So I would love to, but I don't want to spoil the next game. <laughs> that, that is totally fine. That is totally fine. But yeah, that's not to say obviously that you need to use Metaplot. We both obviously love it. No. You can absolutely run a mage game without it mm -hmm. especially if you focus more on the local you know your one group of mages or whatever you're running for you don't have to touch the meta plot at all or make up your own you can make up your own meta plot of how the world works yeah. and how it's moved over time yeah change change whatever you like right like because in like our yeah. victorian era game i have I have a little element of time travel involved, which is technically impossible according to the rules. And I've done it anyway because it is, I, I figured out a way that works inside my own internal meta plot to justify it. So, yeah. You know? I will say that, like, internal consistency is the important thing, right? Absolutely. It, your world is more important than the world in the book. Yeah, yeah. I will say, I think according to the rules, time travel is no longer technically impossible. It's just stupid hard. <laughs> It is stupid hard, and it's basically impossible when you go back that many hundreds of years. Yes, if you go back as far as, as the time travel in our game, <laughs> that that's basically impossible. I, I have cheated because, let me just put it this way. Folks, if you ever need a way to cheat the metaplot, just remember that avatars exist outside of the flow of time and space. <laughs> and if you do something that affects an avatar rather than a person, you can generally just hand wave it for your for your players. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Right? Where you're just like, oh, yes, well, maybe if you just did it to a reincarnation instead of, mm -hmm -hmm, it's the same avatar, then technically it's the same thing. Haha, <laughs> cheated. Right. Yeah. Not to spoil anything too much. No, it's very similar to maybe not the exact cheat that I've used in Zero Sum, but it's similar to that. <laughs> I always like, I, I like that you can do that. You can create your own like internal meta plot, especially around avatars where you can get real weird with it and you can be like, ah, yes, you are the reincarnation of Julius Caesar. You have his avatar inside of you. Actually, I lied. Julius Caesar is your reincarnation. Wait, what? Well, <laughs> nobody said avatars had to work in one direction. Right. Time is wibbly wobbly. <laughs> Timey wimey. Avatar yeah. stabatarly. I don't know. <laughs> 
Avatar Stabatar. Only when the Avatar storm happens. Avatar Stabatar. Yeah. That's a good band name. Stabatar. 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 I want a, ta- a Stabatar t-shirt now. I'm going to put that on my to-do list. Right. Right next to the cloak of enchanting. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, That's good. Okay. So obviously we've been playing Victorian Mage as we've been talking about. And mm. so how do you think the different historical epochs have shaped the world and the experiences of mages in the game? Like there are so many differences between Victorian Mage and how the world looks and feels and functions versus say a modern mage game, whether it's set in the 90s or in the early 2000s after the Avatar Storm. I think that the mood of the era drastically affects the play style but i also think that the mood and the the understanding of science and technology or the belief in science and technology greatly affects how paradox functions so there are three eras i can talk about on this the first is of course modern mage where paradox functions as it functions normally then there's victorian age where you have the straits which is kind of a version of paradox but it's more based off of what is known and unknown and it's more of a vibe based paradox it's interesting Mm -hmm. so rather than like a fact it's based off a feeling uh in many ways so something could be paradoxical but if it feels like you could do that because i don't know any better so for example a person could easily do something like faith healing if they were in a religious community or had like a piece of the true cross a Native American shaman could probably turn into an animal with minimal resistance so long as they were in a place where that seemed like something that could happen, mm-hmm. you know, because people have not solidified reality so much to say, well, obviously people can't shapeshift, you know, well, I mean, he, 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 I've heard the stories. We've heard stories. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've read, I've read these stories, you know. It's a little more pulpy in that way, which is pretty cool. But then further, if you go back to like Mage, the Sorcerer's Crusade, you get this thing called the Scourge, which is a much, a much more, it's a weird one because uh, basically it's like magic is mostly coincidental, if I remember correctly. But every time you roll, you also, every time you roll a magical effect, you also include an additional dice that is basically a wild magic dice because magic is so chaotic back then. Okay, almost like Wild Magic Surge in D&D. It's basically, I, if I remember correctly, it was like a, a you roll a D10 on beyond and on a one you botch uh, or create something different than expected. And on a 10, you do super magic. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how it went. It's been, I, I, it's been like 10 years since I've opened my copy of Sorcerer's Crusade. Maybe, maybe 15. Fair. It's just been on the shelf. But yeah, so it's it's interesting the way the meta plot affects the, the rules of the game as well as just the vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Are there any specific events or themes from the meta plot that you find particularly intriguing or impactful that you've come across? Yeah, absolutely. I think that everything that sets up Mage Revised is particularly impactful simply because it changes the game from a game of wonderment to a game of rebellion. And that was present in 1st edition and 2nd edition. But there was something so perfect about the way that Revised released. Uh, And Revised, of course, had the meta plot with the Avatar Storm, the Technocracy winning, the Fall of Horizon, all of that happening right in rapid succession. And that came out right around the time that something like um, The Matrix did. Or Mm -hmm. uh, right at the turn of millennia, right? The turn of the millennia where there was such a sense of foreboding in the air and there was this this sense of a very much a rage against the machines type of environment and 
that really set it there. The idea of, of taking young mages and making them the primary protagonists of the setting who had to rebel against this monolithic structure and then almost turning into a slightly terroristic angle in many ways. Eco-terrorist, uh, political terrorism, reality terrorists, things like that. Like you were becoming an active part of a rebellion. And that book came out when I was in my late teens. And I, I, that was, that hit me. That hit me so hard. The idea of like rising up against against conformity and rising up against the man and that vibe that the metaplot instilled really made the game and really allowed you to hit the ground running. Which is interesting because with Modern Mage the Ascension, that's been eased off quite a bit. And I'm going to be honest, for M20, I find it slightly harder to come up with Mage the Ascension, like Mage, tradition Mage stories. Mm-hmm. Because we're easing off of that and it's more, I don't know, about subsistence survival. It's more about mm-hmm. how do you keep going when nothing really matters anymore? It's about coexistence. Yeah, yeah. The rebellion angle has lessened a bit, which is why it's very interesting to also play games like Victorian Era Mage, which are set when the technocracy is just starting to become the technocracy. There's still the order of reason. They're still actively resisting these pockets of magic across the world. They have not quite unified in the way that they will once they become the technocratic union. And it allows you to kind of, I don't know, play on the same playing field for a little bit or for it to be more like a gentlemanly war, I guess. Because we've had we've had episodes where you've hung out with Order of Reason characters and you kind of just like, yeah. well, we're going to call this a peace treaty right now because we're going to have tea and talk about how we'll kill each other next week. <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's very civilized. Yeah. It almost bookends with M20. So you have your Victorian era, that bit of coexistence where, yeah, we're we're fighting, but it's not a, a unified fight on either side. Mm-hmm. We're just, we're arguing. We're arguing over dinner. Mm-hmm. And then you have your mage revised rebellion aspect in the center. And then you have this kind of, oh, um, I guess we can't kill each other all the time. That That's tiring. And we all kind of want to live. And yeah, we're, we're just kind of, we're going to argue again, back to arguing over dinner, but with more of the like storming out. It's mages in its 20s. Yeah. It's, it's in its 20s. We're, we're adults now. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's just get along for mom type of thing. Let's just, let's just get along. We don't want to ruin the gathering too much, you know? It definitely did go through its angsty phase, but it went through its angsty phase at the same time that I did. So I'm in love with that. Right. And I'm, I can't argue that. Like, why do you love the metaplot, Kelly? I love the metaplot because it was angsty and so was I. Yeah, exactly. It, it struck something in both of us, really. I mean, I was a little, a little older when I came to Mage, like, mm-hmm. rather than when it was released or when Revised came out, right? It was a few years later that that I came around to it. But still, I loved that sense of something that had come before, whether it was in terms of metaplot or whatever. It was just Mm. there was history in Mage and I love history. And it just gave me lore to learn. Lore. (laughs) Lore. Whether it was used or not. I keep mentioning my Zero Sum game where I have gone down the strangest rabbit holes and found the tiniest little thing to build plots off of. Things that don't normally come out in in mage plots because they're not the big flashy things that people see in the meta plot, really. Take, for example, this isn't a huge spoiler for Game 10, but if you haven't watched Game 10, which is Game 10 Null, it came out for the Patreon in early February, and so we'll come out on YouTube at some point when Kelly can get to it (laughs) and catch up with the other ones. Mm -hmm. But they have to deal with with these prison spheres that existed. and Ah, uh, the prison spheres. Right? And these prison spheres are barely mentioned 
They're mentioned in two places in the entire, like, all of the books of Mage. And they don't even, they're not even really talked about that much. They're just kind of like, oh, and then there's these things that exist. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what can I do with that? Because that's terrifying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? It's just that sense of belonging to something bigger. I think for me. Absolutely. Now, conversely, there are a lot of people who really hate Metaplot. Yeah. We have a couple of friends who really, really dislike Metaplot and refuse to use any element of it in their own games. And whenever I talk to people about this, it seems to be that A, they just don't like the Metaplot. That's fine. It's your game. But two, they feel that Metaplot makes players matter less. Mm -hmm. To which I say it can. Absolutely. You can just be one person who was there in the middle of a phenomenal historical event, you know, or if you want to tell the type of story where the players are more important, it's very easy to have them be at the center of it or to change certain events. I played a character who was at the fall of Horizon once. I was like, I was literally playing an Akashic brother who was fighting technocratic mechs knowing full well i was going to lose this fight in and out of character i beat the mech and i slowed i slowed the the destruction of horizon down in a even for like a minute maybe maybe i bought it a minute with with mm -hmm. the character's work but i felt that even going into that knowing i can't change this but i can participate in this i can do something with it is really cool mm -hmm. but and also who's to say your characters aren't important you might not be able to completely change something, but participation is important as well, I think, in many ways. And it also sets you up if you ever do want to run any of the end-of-the-world scenarios, like Ascension. Ascension has a great opening bit where you are uh, you finally get the one-up on the technocracy. Mm -hmm. It's a great scene. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to play it, but you, know, you started a party, uh, you started a conclave, and things go wrong, and you planned for it this time and yeah it's real cool and it's very satisfying to be on the upper hand but also to deal with the metaplot like running with metaplot a lot of people assume that that means that your characters aren't going to matter as much because there are all of these important figures but these people first off they're replaceable second of all they need assistance they need people to help them and your players can mm -hmm. fill in those slots very neatly mm -hmm. john courage the technocratic agent is easily replaced by either a group of people pretending to be him mm -hmm. or you could one of your players could fill that role and use it as a code name or you could do something completely different. You don't have to be constrained by Metaplot. Remember, it serves you. And once you understand kind of like the hierarchy of storytelling needs, which is that your story and player entertainment comes first, it's the base building block. And then above that are tools and, and fiction that you can draw in to enhance that. And then on top is like, I don't know, scheduling. Actually, scheduling is <laughs> probably on the bottom. Scheduling is on the very bottom, absolutely. <laughs> it's on the very bottom. It's it's the brick that you want to remove but can't. Yeah, without without scheduling, the entire pyramid falls apart. <laughs> yeah, so in talking about that, how do you balance the overarching metaplot with player-driven narratives, character arcs, or how do you avoid railroading in those situations? Talk to your players, first of all. Absolutely talk to your players, first of all. Also plan ahead. Uh, in our in our Victorian era game, I have seeded that Porthos Fitz Empress knows your character. Yeah. Albeit briefly. Yeah. 
He's a teacher in Concordia still at this point in the timeline. So he has observed you and your family, which are all hermetics, and there's a chance that he would have anyway. Mm -hmm. So if later on you want to go there and have a Sertiman duel with Porthos Fitz Empress, he's been pre-established to know you. Yeah. If you want to become his assistant, it has been pre-established that he knows you. If you want to kill him and take his position on the council, you've got some legwork to do, but it's been established, right? And if I want to completely reject that, I can't. Yeah, and I'm not going to force it on you. Like, it's there. And no. it's like players will tell you, play, okay, players should tell you, if you're a player, do this. Mm -hmm. They should tell you what they want by their actions. And if their actions contradict what they really want, hopefully they will tell you out of character and say, wow, I'm going to do this thing, but I really would prefer that my character eventually end up this way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and as a storyteller, that's when you need to know to adjust metaplot to fit what your players want, what, what your story is. But it's that, it's that collaborative storytelling element, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've still got to roll with whatever punches your players throw at you and they'll throw punches at you for sure, but you can roll with it, right? Even if it doesn't fit the metaplot exactly. If you're a storyteller, you need to approach, this is a video game metaphor, I'm sorry, but you need to approach this like Baldur's Gate 3, not like Metal Gear Solid, okay? Because Baldur's Gate 3, you can kill just about any NPC. And the game is written to adapt around it, like other NPCs. There, there's this one barkeep in a tavern inside of Baldur's Gate. I forget what his name is. Uh, it's like Biff, right? If you kill Biff, there's a cutscene later where an identical character shows up and your players refer to him or your characters refer to him as Boff, Biff's brother. <laughs> I forget. It's, he's, got a, he's got a dumb name, but it's like that. It's this orc bartender. And if he dies, they make a point of saying his identical brother shows up and takes over the job because you need the character there. So it doesn't, it's fine. There's like the stock character. Whereas like, so be flexible. Like in, I'm running the Transylvania Chronicles right now for you. And you're in that as well. Uh, you can watch it on, on Dork Tales. Mm -hmm. You guys just straight up killed a named NPC and almost killed another one last episode. And I'm like, all right, yep. I guess he didn't make it. I guess mm -hmm. uh, the the stories of his survival were greatly exaggerated. The the narrative did not play out that way, but history might record it differently. Yeah. Yeah, which which makes it a little different from say Dragonlance where we had that oh one God. scene where a named NPC is supposed to either escape or if he falls he disappears and we don't know if he's dead kind of thing and we're like but we were trying to kill him real hard. <laughs> but he has but he has to show up in the book. Apparently, by the way, I just watched an interview with uh, with Joe Maganello about that. And when they wrote that book, there was no consultation with anybody. There wasn't any consultation <laughs> with Joe. There wasn't any consultation with Margaret West or Tracy Hickman. Uh huh. Which is why that book feels a little weird. It's a good. It's a good module. I enjoyed running uh -huh. it for you guys. Yeah. But it had some things in it that were kind of weird from a Dragonlance standpoint. But that that said, um, even that is better. The whole like, ah, oh, he vanishes so he can appear later. Mm -hmm. So he can appear later in a book you probably will never read versus like what I said before, the Metal Gear Solid one, where if mm -hmm. uh, in Metal Gear Solid 3, if it's set in the 60s and if you kill characters who show up in Metal Gear Solid 1 in the present, or I guess in the 90s, it gives you a game over because you've created a time paradox. Oh, <laughs> which is the joke that I always say, Pime Paradox, because the, the letters move around. You've created a Pime Paradox. 
<laughs> so so long as you approach Metaplot as something that will kind of, you know, the world will adapt around what your players do. If you need a villain, that's fine. Guess what? Vormos has an assistant named named Dumos. Pormos. <laughs> Pormos, yeah. He's he's the poor man's Vormos. Um Yeah. But like if you need that villain, he'll still be there. You know, as far as railroading, it's it's hard to railroad mages. I'm just gonna put it that way. <laughs> it's really true. They, it's really hard to railroad mages. I don't see I don't know how you railroad mages easily. I'm still learning this. You know the best way to railroad a mage is to mani- is to emotionally manipulate them. And that's mm-hmm. that's the best I've come up with after 20 years of running this game is give them a bunch of stuff they care about and then put the screws to them until they do what you want. And I, I say that in a loving mm-hmm. and fun way. Don't don't actually Yes, yes. And we enjoy it as players. <laughs> yeah. But as far as railroading, I mean, if you're using a meta plot thing, you need to understand that there is a chance the players may be able to change it. If you run a game, um, uh, uh, Jen, edit this out if you if you think that it's too extreme. If mm-hmm. you run a game that is set during a crucial historical event, like, for example, 9-11, mm-hmm. you have to understand that your players are going to very potentially try to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. And if they do, that's going to have vast repercussions on the world. Mm-hmm. You know, different presidencies might not be reelected. Wars might not happen. Entire mainstream media might change around that. Mm-hmm. And if you're ready for that, cool. Yeah. So long as you're okay with doing the legwork, if you want to use that part of the metaplot or you use part of our universal world metaplot, our history, you absolutely can. <laughs> the world's metaplot. <laughs> That's what it is. But yeah, it's like for anyone who has ever watched the... Alexandria Unlimited short series that was DM'd by Brendan Lee Mulligan. He runs the the like cataclysm mm-hmm. event that happens, and everybody knew going into that that there was no stopping what was going to happen. And I mean, maybe they could have, but that was the risk that you know Matt Mercer yeah. takes in letting <laughs> Brennan run for parts of his history, mm. his world's history, right? I haven't watched that. I need to watch that now. I need to see how it's they handle good, that. Yeah. I, I haven't finished watching it. I keep getting distracted around like episode three and then. So it's set during like the time where the, the God, the God war, like the, yeah, the, the, I think uh, so. Oh, wow. If I, if I remember correctly, I don't, I don't know critical role all that well, or it's Alexandria's history. I make fun of it a lot because it's not called the cataclysm. It's called not the kerfuffle. <laughs> it's called the. Uh, not it's the catastrophe. The, not cat, not catastrophe. It's another C word, but it's very much. Yeah. I'm like, ah, hello, Matthew Mercer. I can see that you too have read Dragonlance. <laughs> right. That that was just it. Right. It's I said cataclysm because I was like, hmm, Dragonlance. You said cataclysm. It, it's right, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like every basically all fantasy. I, I forget where I read this or saw calamity. this, but all fantasy is dystopian. Calamity. The calamity. Yeah. All fantasy is is post apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. There is always an event where things were good, then things got bad, and here we are. Yeah, like almost all fantasy has an apocalyptic event in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm not calling him out personally unless he wants to like debate me live. Then okay, sure, yeah, I'll mm. hang out. <laughs> right, we'd be up for that. I'd hang out with uh, with him and B- BLM. Right. I'm actually just reading a quote here. So the the series is Alexandria Unlimited Calamity. That's what it's called. And oh yeah. 
It says, on setting calamity during an apocalypse, Brennan says, if your only question is, does the calamity happen or not, that's a different series. The question here is, what is the nature of mortal beings when faced with this? There are different, and in my opinion, more interesting questions to be answered here than, does the doom come or no? <laughs> yeah, the, do the doom is the setting. Yeah. That's like, that's like setting... It's like setting a like a story on the ocean and asking if the water's wet. Like, yeah, it's right. it's wet, man. Like the water's here. Yeah. We're on we're we're in the ocean. The story's not the, the ocean's not the story. The story's what happens on the boat. Yeah, the story is the characters and what they do yeah. in the setting of doom. <laughs> yeah. And and how they change, right? That's I mean, exactly. all all stories are characters. You can have as much plot, as much setting as you want. And your story will never be good unless you have characters that interact and change within it. Yep, yep. And you have to set your players up to engage those characters with the plot. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise the plot is just, it's something that you kind of keep under a bushel, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's irrelevant. Your plot can be as cool as you think it is, but if you don't allow your players to engage, it's, it's not a communal story. You might as well just be writing a book. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with writing a book. I, I no. intend to write a couple more books. Yeah. I enjoy it. I just finished part of a book that Jen just proofread. So like Indeed. Yeah. Thank you for that, by the way. You're welcome. But like it's good. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I it's it's my first noir piece. I like it. You can mm -hmm. you can buy that soon from uh from None More Dark. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but make your make make it accessible for your players. And also don't be so precious with your meta plot or your plot, because if you do that, then you are creating something that can't be interacted with. And that's not fun. You know, we're here mm -hmm. to build sandcastles. You know, think of it as something that's mutable and something that's, you know, special and precious. Don't think of it as something that you're carving into stone. Yeah, it's a collaboration. It's not you writing a book, which, again, yeah. nothing wrong with. Books are great. Yeah, so have you had any unexpected or particularly memorable player reactions to metaplot developments in your games? A lot of gasping. Uh, that's always fun. A lot of wide <laughs> eyes. And uh, um, I will say, if you like Metaplot Interaction, you should definitely watch book three of, of Mage, mm. the, the Victorian Age, because there's going to be some stuff in there that's going to be very... I'm going to get called a lot of names by, by you. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to it, too. Let's see. Uh, big things that happened. Um, we had somebody that became the... The head of the Celestial Chorus in one of our games. We had someone, I guess, just like reactions to things. Mostly gasps and like calling you names. <laughs> Bye. Okay, for Metaplot, okay. Mm, yeah, I think I think so. I think that it's just that type of fulfillment of, wow, I was important. Or, wow, I interacted with this thing. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 the plot interaction that sticks in my head the most is actually not a mage one so i don't know if it's relevant okay. it's a curse of strahd sure why not reference so i'm sorry to get off topic but to to show how players interact with things there's in mage there's lots of gasps and ooing and awing and oh, it was him the whole time and oh, i'm mm -hmm. really the i'm really the chosen one of this narrative or oh that's hell tnm you know ah they are a real jerk but in it can be done differently too, such as in Curse of Strahd, where eventually you find out Strahd's backstory. He's a he's a vampire. He's basically like what happens if you take Dracula and draw him from memory, you know? Or we have he's the we have Dracula at home. 
So they find out his backstory, and uh, this is actually on Dork Tales if anybody wants to watch it. They dig up his journal and they read it, and there is a 15-minute gap in game where the players are laughing so hard because it turns out that Strahd von Zarevich is an incel and they can't get over that he's supposed to be the big bad of the campaign. (laughs) It was so bad I had to change his backstory and do it. Yes, I wrote that book from a certain point of view to throw you off. (laughs) Type of thing. Because they couldn't take him seriously at that point, right? And there are places in the Mage the Ascension uh, meta plot where you will look at this and be like, what the hell is this? Mm Mm-hmm particularly the um there's some stuff involving the library in the the ascension book that is a little weird there's a lot of stuff with control there's a lot of stuff with who the phoenix is the rogue council i mean i distinctly remember my moment of feeling like i am so important in that time of judgment section you were running when i was playing my my 13 year old escaped from a family of technocrats virtual adept who became control (laughs) yep so that was fun you were able to free your parents from their indoctrination i was and control didn't eat my willpower it was close (laughs) not all of it not all of it It ate a little bit as a snack it ate a lot of it but i had it ate a lot of it (laughs) Uh, for those who for those who don't know you basically spoiler for a 20 year old book You get, oh God, 21-year-old book. You Uh get into the center of control, basically where uh, there's nobody left on Earth because control has all been kind of like subsumed into itself with the exception of of Tychoides, who's there kind of just chilling out in his new clone body. You show up and he's like, hey, here's the deal. This controls the uh, technocratic hive mind. Like the, this is the place where orders are issued into the indoctrination of the technocracy. Uh, Yeah, take it for a spin. Do what you want. I'm, I'm out. My guys have already been like deprogrammed, so I don't care. I'm just doing like a favor to the cosmos by being here, more or less. Mm-hmm. And then your players can choose what to do. They can not brainwash the technocracy. They can completely brainwash the technocracy. They can unbrainwash the technocracy or anything else. They could literally just say, all right, uh, attention, attention, technocratic union. You are now members of the Order of Hermes. And it it happens like you can literally yeah. do that to them. And you guys chose the better one where you you didn't unindoctrinate them entirely. You didn't change them. You just said, hey, let's well, you basically said, like, let's you guys are going to function without indoctrination. Yeah. So I guess you you took you took away the indoctrination. You didn't like change who they were, but you just you took Freed away them. their their You're free. Yeah, now. you took away the social <laughs> programming. You're free. Go do what you want. And then that was one of, like, the three big things that actually gave you the good ending. Yay! <laughs> because yeah. things got rough after that. That that stopped oh, the war. Boy. Yeah, it did. But, yeah, that was, that was a big moment for me as a player, just being like, I am suddenly in this, I'm in this pivotal moment in history, both metaplot, like, pre what we're currently doing history, and also future. Just that feeling of being at a waypoint was, oof. <laughs> Well, and, and also one of the things that made that so pivotal was that you did come from a technocratic household. You did have technocratic parents and you freed your parents mm-hmm. from that so that you could potentially one day return and be a family mm-hmm. again. And, and you had those emotional stakes. So if you're running a yeah. metaplot, give people emotional stakes. If you're running the week of nightmares, have people that are connected to it there. If you're running, if you're running the fall of Horizon, families live there. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like give them something. Don't don't just the meta plot is is a facade. Mm-hmm. Fill it. Fill it with actors. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any final thoughts or recommendations for storytellers looking to explore and make the most of the meta plot just as we hit the end of our time here? Oh, it's a very, very diverse thing. The Metaplot is spread out over so many books, and you don't need all of it. Don't think that you need every little detail to run the Metaplot, because it'll drive you insane. You will not be able to find any of it in a reasonable amount of time if you're new to this. So read what you want, take what you want. It is a toolbox. And if you find something later that contradicts something you've already used, either either figure out a way that it still works or ignore the contradiction. It doesn't matter. Another way that you can always do this, this is this is the quickest fix in all of Mage. Reality wanted it a certain way, so reality adjusted itself retroactively. Yeah, there you go. Reality is mutable. Reality is mutable, and you—it's—it's it's one of the things with our historic game is that you guys are burning down buildings in London and Paris like like it's going out of style, and it's like okay, I guess that building burned down. Anything important can shift to the left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you burn down the sandwich shop that the assassins of Archduke Duke Ferdinand stopped in, <laughs> there's another one across the street that opened up, or they were going to get their shoes shined, or something like that. You know, like something else will fill in the gap if the event has to happen for your story yeah exactly that's it don't don't make your players feel like their um their choices don't matter yes you know but if you need something to happen you can you can find a compromise also if you're play if you're worried your players will feel like their choices didn't matter in that case like if the entire goal was saving ferdinand mm-hmm. talk to your players out of character and ask if they have any ideas for ways to make this plot work or if they are fine with it still happening and it being a like a faded destined thing you do not have to run the game by yourself mm-hmm. and the more input you give to your players and the more input you take from them the more invested usually that they will become especially in a game like mage the ascension where the entire point is rewriting reality it is not a bad thing to give your players the ability to rewrite the reality of the story with you Mm -hmm. that's what i got cool well i think we'll leave it there for today but thanks kelly for joining me and we'll be back next month with part two oh what's part two You've been listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast, and you can find us wherever you can find podcasts. If actual plays are up your alley, check out Dorktales on twitch.tv slash dorktales or youtube.com slash dorktales. Find us on the Dorktales Discord server or check out our website at dorktales.ca. We are currently streaming a Mage the Victorian era game on Saturdays. Our Patreon subscribers have early access to the Technocracy Zero Sum game, which is also starting to roll out on YouTube for the general public. And we have several mage one-shots and a short-run chronicle called Breaking Tradition on YouTube. Additionally, we are starting to roll out our Mage the Victorian Era game in podcast form over on the Dorktales Podbean channel, also found wherever you can find podcasts. Finally, as always, there's also all of our other amazing content. Thanks for listening, and remember to always keep your magic coincidental, unless it's Fireball.